This episode is brought to you in part by Wholehearted Love, a new book by Caleb and Stephanie Rouse. Overcome the barriers that hold you back in your relationships with God and with others and delight in feeling safe, seen, and loved with Wholehearted Love. For more information, go to Tyndale.com. Hey friends, welcome to the Grace Enough podcast. I am your host, Amber Cullum. Each episode, I sit down with a guest to discuss their life journey and how the grace of God has impacted them along the way. After listening to today's episode, I hope you are encouraged that God can use you right now in the midst of your day-to-day life. Yes, it requires daily surrender and trust, but we must remember His grace is enough. Welcome to episode 24 of the Grace Enough podcast. Today I chat with BJ Foster, the content creator for All Pro Dad, which is a program offered through Family First. All Pro Dad is on a mission to help dads love and lead their families well, and BJ plays a large role in carrying out that mission. We chat about BJ coming to know Jesus through the ministry of Young Life, how various job experiences led him to All Pro Dad, what All Pro Dad offers to assist fathers in their relationship with their children, and how he navigates conflict in the online world when his content rubs people the wrong way. Listen to what he has to say about the love of a father. Like I said, if the love of a father is is not there, it sh- you, you talk to a daughter or son where the love of a father is not there and it just it leaves a gaping hole. And I think it's built kind of into our DNA that the representation of I think it even it affects even the way that we view God. In fact, a, a, a friend of mine who's one of my mentors, he he disciples and ministers world leaders and businessmen. And part of his ministry is he does college age, 20 something discipling. Uh, he, t- he talks about how when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are focused on our relationship with God. The last five are focused on our relationship with each other. The connector of the two is our relationship with our parents. And what they've found in, in their discipling is that they can't fully get people to experience God until they reconcile this relationship with their with their parents. At the end of today's episode, I hope you will click over to All Pro Dad or iMom and subscribe to their daily email, which includes an intentional question that you can ask your child each evening and a tip to help you love your child or spouse better today than you did yesterday. Hey BJ, thanks for being on the Grace Enough podcast. It's my pleasure. I'm uh, excited to be here. Will you take a minute and introduce us to yourself and to your family and tell us a little bit about what you do? Okay, my name is BJ Foster, and I'm the director of content creation for Family First, which is a national nonprofit uh, that helps families love one another well and, and tries to give them greater hope for the future. And we do that through, uh, there are two main programs in it that we do that through. It's All Pro Dad and iMom, and I'm the director over the content that's produced through both of those. Uh, and then we've got several other programs associated with Family First. Uh, so I've been doing that for about five years now, and I am married. I've been married for 13 years um, to a wonderful woman who is a flight attendant and with Southwest. Uh, I'm going to give a little plug there. <laughs> and have two kids, uh, a boy who's 10 and a daughter who'll be nine in two weeks. Yes. And Elizabeth has them at home, which is, whew, go Elizabeth for homeschooling. That's, yeah. that's tough. I couldn't do it. In fact, I have done it um, when she's out and 
I can see why I come home and her hair is being pulled out. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because we're thinking about for the first time bringing our oldest home and doing a university model school. So he would be in school two days a week and then home three days a week. And I'm kind of even freaking out about that. And they basically give us the curriculum. So... So everybody everywhere needs to put you on their prayer list. That's right. That's going to happen. That's right. Good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. Well, take us back and tell us a little bit about your faith journey, how that began, how you came to know Jesus, and kind of, you know, take us into how you began working with Family First. Okay. My mom started my faith journey. She's a very devout Catholic, still goes to mass every day and tells me, you know, I prayed for you today. And and she does that very consistently. And so she brought me up with this really rich Catholic foundation, which gave me essentially a, a deep respect for God's holiness, um, for his judgment, the fact that he is somebody to be revered, to be uh, feared in a healthy way. But, you know, the the Catholic faith, as much as it's to me, it's like it's almost like Ph.D. faith. And if you go in, you can imagine if you have an eight year old in a Ph.D. course, you know, they're not really going to there's so much about it. They're not going to get so like. I looked at Jesus very much as somebody that was uh, to be respected. It was holy. I thought he was awesome. Um, I didn't relate to him at all. It didn't really resonate in my entire life. It was just something like, uh, you know, you go to church and and faith is kind of a part of your life, but not the central focus of your entire life. And it wasn't really until, so I had that great foundation. And then when I was in high school, um, I started going to Young Life, which is a, an outreach to kids that would normally never darken the door of a church, although I would, and got to know some folks in there, particularly one guy in particular, who was my Young Life leader, who would show up at my games and, and it just kind of invested in me. And I saw something very different from him. He talked about Jesus in a way that made him very relatable. And not only that, but people like young life people in general, it was like, okay, they seem to be, I would have at the time called them religious. Like they seem to be, they seem to have that religious aspect, that faith aspect, but they're not dorks or boring. Like there's nothing boring about this. Like they're exciting. They're, um, they would talk about life with Jesus that was an adventure, right? Um, you know, that was almost like something at a national treasure or, you know, or Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, right. they, like this is the most exciting thing that you could possibly do. And there was something different in the way that they treated people, whereas I was a really good guy. Like, if you looked at me, I was like, I was a really nice person, but they were another level. And um, I remember being at Young Life Camp in New York, place called Saranac Village. And I was throwing the baseball with a friend of mine and it went over into these garbage cans at the dumpster behind the dining hall. And I went back there to get it and a girl came out and I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to get in trouble. I'm not supposed to be here. And she came out and, and she had a big smile on her face and she goes, what are you doing back here? And I said, I'm sorry, I'm just looking for my ball and I just want to get it and, and get it out. I can see it back there. She goes, oh, she goes, don't step in that. That's garbage. That's disgusting. So she proceeded before I even had a chance to go in there. She dove in there, got my ball, said, I'll be right back. And she went inside the dining hall and cleaned it off. And it was, if this is a picture of anything, it was more clean when she brought it out than when 
it first went into the dumpster area. She did it all with a smile. And I don't remember exactly what she looked like, but I remember she almost had an aura about her. And that night I said, um, you know, they've been talking about this personal relationship with Jesus all the, the, the entire time. And if that's what this is that these people have, then I want it. Then, then Jesus, I want. It. So you marry this beautiful foundation of respect for God's holiness. And then you bring in this whole personal relationship aspect that Young Life brought in. And it was this great marriage that kind of was born out of that. And so from that point on, I was involved in Young Life, was completely sold out for it. I volunteered for years, um, thought about going on staff, but couldn't really pull the trigger. After I graduated from college, I, by the way, had the most eclectic resume you've ever seen. I've pretty much done everything. I, I worked at the United States Senate. I did some contractual CIA research, which was no security clearance at all. So don't think that that was anything. It was basically going to the Library of Congress and researching treaties. It was really boring work. Um, I was uh, an office manager for a ministry, and then I was a financial advisor for really? three years mm-hmm. and was a miserable failure at that. Uh, in fact, my um, my boss, my district manager, decided to break up all of his advisors. He broke them into teams that he would meet with. The A team was they were the, the masters of the universe. They were the ones that always made millions of dollars and had all these clients. And And then it was the B team and they were successful. But like they were trying to become masters of the universe. Right. <laughs> then, there, then there was the C team, which were people that were just barely making gold. It's like, okay, you got your head above water, but you need to really take off. Then there was the D team, and those were the people who were struggling. They weren't making their goal. Now, Amber, what letter comes (laughs) after D? E. (laughs) E, E, right. He completely skipped and didn't have an E team. He had an F team, and that's the team that I was on. I was with the F team. The question is, were you by yourself? No, I had two other <laughs> oh, okay. guys in me, two other guys in me, and every week are just. He would say stuff like, uh, "You guys are not even worth the amount of money that the company spends on healthcare." Oh like, my goodness! The, those are the types of things he would say. He would say to us, and uh, <laughs> and at one point he came in and said, uh, "When are you guys going to learn that this is not for you?" Oh so, wow. So and I, and we would look at each other and we're like, is this supposed to motivate us? Like, uh, you know, he just he clearly we're like, you're the failing group and we just need to and like F should have stood for fired. You're going to get fired soon. And I and I did and, um, and got fired from that job with a one year old at home. Oh, my gosh. And, and in the midst of this whole, you know, all the resume I gave, I did get married to Elizabeth and and had had a one year old at home and one on the way. And a li- and my wife had just been put on. She had just been put on bed rest. Oh, and so, so, so we lost her salary and mine. And that's when we really felt like the Lord was saying, it's time for you to go on Young Life staff. Yeah. And so I started looking at Young Life staff and and, uh, and a position became open in Tampa, Florida, which was at the time we were living in Maryland and I'm from Philadelphia. My wife is from Oklahoma. So Florida was like, 
do we want to live in Florida? Like, it's a, a you big know, change. It's a huge change. And it's saying goodbye to a lot of things that we've known and, and I, a support system as well. Right. But we ultimately really felt like that's that's what God had for us. So we moved down in 2010 and I was the area director uh, down there at a great four year stint. And a part of that four year stint was. I was the chaplain for the local football team, which was a, a great program, like a nationally recognized program, which was really, really fun. And it just so happened that um, I would do these chapels at 7 a.m. in the stinky locker room with 60 guys who were barely dressed and at 7 a.m. in the morning. And the team mom was a woman by the name of Susan Merrill, and she's one of the founders of Family First. And so I would get up there and I would speak and I would always share stories about my kids. Like I thought my, what my kids did were really funny. And somehow I was able to keep the attention of 60 guys telling stories about my kids and then relating it some way to, to a piece of scripture and giving them a charge. And she came up to me and said, hey, I, I want to hire you for All Pro Dad. Wow. And I kind of thought, that's ah, funny. Yeah, I'd like to hire you, too. Sure. And so we kind of developed a, a friendship and then it just kind of came time for me to leave staff. And I went to her and said, were you just being nicer? Right. And, and, and so she said, no, in fact, we're hiring for the all pro dad manager. Um, and I had never done any kind of writing before, but I did a lot of speaking at that time. And so, so that's kind of, that's a long story, but that's kind of how my faith journey led me to family first and all pro dad. And yeah, well, tell us about all pro dad. That's kind of what I want to focus on a little bit more during our time, just because I feel like there are quite a few things for moms out there, but you don't come across as many things for fathers. Mm -hmm. Or maybe there are more resources out there, and I don't hear of them as often. But what all does All Pro Dad provide? And first of all, All Pro Dad is built off of the verse Malachi 4.6, which is turn the hearts of the, child, the fathers to their kids and the hearts of the kids to their dads. Um, because this is a big, the, the, I'll tell you what, if, the, the lack of a love of a father and the lack of presence of a father leaves a gaping hole. In fact, uh, we did a study back in the 90s of incarcerated individuals and found that 85% grew up without a dad. Yeah. And I was talking to my, my neighbor literally last night. He's a professor who does research and he's writing a book. And he's, he's interviewed and done research with um, men in prison. And he confirmed that 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 study was done that we did 20 years ago, 25 years ago. He said 90 percent of individuals, I asked them about their their parents and 90 percent of them grew up without a father. So this is a this is a huge issue. So what so that's what we're trying to do is get the dads engaged and get the kids engaged back with the fathers. And we do it for moms as well on our iMom platform. Um, but my main work is is mainly focused on dads. And so we, we try to tell them, look, you can be an all pro dad in three ways. Number one, you sign up for our daily email, because if you're going to be good at this thing, you need to be intentional and you need to be thinking about it all the time. You need to be thinking about it daily. Yes. And so we send out uh, and this is a part of the big writing and editing. And, I, and it's not just me. I've got a, a host of writers that write for all pro dad. And so we send out a, an email every day that has about 500 words. It's, it gives you a tip. It, it takes one minute every day. So that's the first thing. Two is one hour every month to either start going to or, or actually start a, an All Pro Dad chapter. 
And those are basically chapters we have all across the country. We have got about 1,400 um, across the country. And it's dads and kids who get together and have conversations and spend time. Normally, it's done at the schools, at the public schools or whatever schools are. And it's a way for the dads to be at the school. It's a way for the dad to be more involved. But then we have a curriculum where we set up conversations where they can talk about character and they can talk about issues that they're having. One of my favorite things about it is we do a pride exercise and each dad is given a little time to publicly proclaim why they're proud of their kid. And if you ever go to one and you see that exercise, you see the kids beaming and you know the kids that are hearing it for the first time because we don't think about that type of thing. So it gives them the opportunity to that. So that's one hour normally every month that they get a chance to do that. And then we have um, we have a partnership with the NFL. And so we've got a lot of NFL spokesmen and we do events at NFL stadiums and college stadiums um, all across the country, mainly here in Florida, some in right. Indiana. We've done some in Texas. We've done um, uh, probably 20 different NFL stadiums and then uh, a handful of colleges and it's an entire day of bonding opportunities and we send them to different stations and then we normally give the dads a little tip to take home and then normally there's a speaker like a coach or like Dabo Sweeney from Clemson just was the main speaker at Clemson a couple weeks ago we had one here in Tampa. We had one in Miami that Coach Rick, who just re- retired, he spoke. Um, and so we've had a, and, and of course, Coach Dungy, who's been Tony Dungy, been uh, one of the founders of All Pro Dad. He's deeply involved and, and kind of comes in and, and helps out. And he'll actually film some video emails that we send out each month as well and, and does some writing also. So so those are kind of the three main areas of All Pro Dad that we try to impact ads. Well, and like you said, the All Pro Dad, they're committed to bringing intentional focus to fathers around the world. And so you talked a little bit about that, but why is that so important? I mean, we know we're missing it in our culture, but why is it so important for that father figure to be in their child's life? Like I said, if the love of a father is is not there, it should, you, you talk to a daughter or son where the love of a father is not there and it just, it leaves a gaping hole. And I think it's built kind of into our DNA that the representation of, I think it even, it affects even the way that we view God. In fact, a, yeah. a, a friend of mine who's one of my mentors, he, he disciples and ministers world leaders and businessmen. And part of his ministry is he does college age, 20 something discipling. Uh, he, t- he talks about how when you look at the Ten Commandments, the first four are focused on our relationship with God. Yeah. The last five are focused on our relationship with each other. The connector of the two is our relationship with our parents. And what they've found in, in their discipling is that they can't fully get people to experience God until they reconcile this relationship with their with their parents and especially the father in the mix of that. I think it it definitely the relationship that you have I think with your father and and I would include the mom in on that as well. Like I'm not trying to underscore the, or de, diminish the mother's role right. here. But if they don't have a good relationship with their father, I see a lot of difficulty they have in this whole relationship with God. If, in fact, I have a theory and, and I think, and it's certainly not foolproof, 
And there's a lot of, I think, atheists that would disagree. But if they were honest, a lot of atheists don't exactly don't believe in God. They're angry at God. And some of that is a direct result from a broken relationship with their dad. Yeah. In my limited experience, I would agree with that for yeah. sure. Well, you have written a ton of articles, but I just am going to read a couple of those titles so that we can kind of get into that. We were talking about it a little bit before we started recording. You've written articles like Seven Things That Lead Kids Down the Wrong Road, Four Ways Parents Discourage Their Kids, Seven Notes You Should Write to Your Children, 20 Things Wives Love to Hear from Their Husbands. I need to share that one with my husband, don't I? <laughs> uh, there's, I'll, I'll, t- I'll tell you another one that you should share with him, too, after you finish the last okay. show. The five biggest fears of men. And the list goes on and on. And I actually remember a conversation that I had with your wife a while back. She said, you know, I've just really had to let go of some of the things that BJ shares because this is our life and it's being put out there for everybody to read. And we went into a lot more detail than obviously I'm going to share right now, but we laughed a lot. And so how do you come up with these articles? Where do you get your ideas from? Um, There's just so many with such good information that I think, wow, where does he come up with these? Hmm, well, thank you for that. And and you know what? I'll just kind of dive right in whether sure. if Elizabeth will be mad or, or whatever. But uh, we'll she probably talk, won't. I think she's used to it now. It's, it's already it's already out there. That's I mean, right. yeah, but some of it is personal experience. Like I wrote an article, Five Reasons Your Wife Doesn't Want Sex. And that was one. I think that, that's the one we were talking one, about. That, she's like, oh, great. And I always get approval from her right. whether or not. And I'm like, is it okay if I write this? And she's like, yeah, fine. And and it's like, yeah, that's kind of from personal experience because my drive is higher than hers. Right. Um, I would call that part of our relationship healthy. But there is a little bit of experience of, uh, you know, I'm not having as much as I would, would choose or want. And, you know, she, you're the only man in the world who uh, would say that. <laughs> well, and, and yeah. And so the, so then the research is like, well, a lot of guys are feeling this, right. you know, and, and there are women that, that deal with it on the flip side, yes. too. Um, but I, in my experience, it seems like more guys deal with this stuff. So some of it is um, personal experience like like that one and others that I'll kind of write in and I'll ask her for permission. And you know, it's OK if I write this story. And there have been some that she's like, no, you're not allowed to write about that. <laughs> um, but most I would say 95 percent. She's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. But I really uh, there are so many that come from a lot of different places, like not all of them are, are personal experience. Like the one you talked about, five, 20 things that men would love uh, or wives that women love. would like to hear from their husbands. That's actually a second article. That's the other side of a coin of an article that I wrote, 20 things husbands say that wives hate to hear. And that was that original thing came from that idea came from actually I, I saw a video on I saw a commercial where women were feeling demeaned in the workplace. A woman was in a conference room and a, and a male boss in a male dominated room said, let me explain what she's trying to say. Mm. It rubbed me the wrong way. And um, and I thought, I'll bet there's things that husbands say. And I just started to think about the whole idea of husbands who try to give the answer rather than listening, you know, rather than trying to solve the problem. And I thought, gosh, I wonder if like I could I could figure out what are the things that guys keep that husbands keep saying that wives are like, oh, my gosh, she's driving me crazy. (laughs) So I wrote that one and it got a great reaction. In fact, 
a man um, who puts on the Iron Sharpens Iron Men's Conference asked me to do a seminar on it. And I said, sure. So I went out to Jacksonville about a month ago. Oh, but that was fun. And there are 400 men at this conference and they have 10 seminars, morning seminars to choose. And I'm not the type that you see me, my name and my subjects on a speaking docket. Like people don't gather to me. In fact, when I was on Young Life staff, I spent more time looking out the window, you know, the front door going, where are all the kids? Are they coming? (laughs) So I go in there and it is standing room only. And we had to bring in chairs. I mean, there's like, you know, and the guys loved it. And we went through all of them. So so that was kind of a fun one. But um, I'll tell you, and I tell all my writers this, when I go through the grocery store and the checkout aisle, I look at all the magazine ads and I look at the title and I've gotten more. I've gotten more ideas from Cosmopolitan and the National Enquirer. And it's not like I'm just taking their idea and doing my own worldview on it. Right. It formally spurs a completely different idea than what I thought. But I, but it just it somehow gets my mind gets into the culture. So there's that, too. Then um, we use a tool called Google AdWords. And I don't know if any of your bloggers use it, but you know, it's a way where you can find out what people are Googling. And way back when, when people had an issue, they would go to their pastor, they'd go to a good right. friend, they'd go to a counselor or their parents, yeah. and they'd ask for advice. Now the first place they go is Google. Yeah. So people are crying out on Google. So when you go to Google AdWords and see what people are searching, you're really seeing the cries of the heart. You're really seeing prayer requests. And so I'll search Google AdWords and see what they're searching. And in fact, um, this is one of the saddest things I've ever seen. One of the most highest searched phrases every single month, at least a thousand people search, I hate being a dad or I hate being a mom. A thousand people a month search that. And so I thought, okay, well, I'll do a thing on that. And the first thing that came to me is I want to speak directly to these guys. So I, I wrote open letter to the guy who says, I hate being a dad. So now people are Googling, I hate being a dad. Mm. And my article is the first one that pops up. And my thought behind it was, I'm going to give these guys some encouragement because I get it. There's nothing harder than this. This is the most difficult, most self-sacrificing thing, most humbling thing, um, most humiliating thing you'll ever do is being a parent. And so I started that. Like I totally get wanting to throw in the towel, you know, but, you know, I started to tell him, however, think about what you're giving up. You know, you're, you're giving up the love of a child. You're, you know, like there's no better connection than the love of a child and your opportunity to teach them and raise them. And and I made the argument that you're going to give all that up and it's going to be, there's loneliness in the midst of that because no, you can't be more intimately connected than your own blood and potentially your own wife. I mean, you can be plenty married and feel disconnected and there's no, or lonely place you can be. These guys who are angry and hate their station in life are Googling and finding it, and they are not happy with me. They're very, in fact, there's an entire Reddit conversation really about me and about what an idiot I am. And so, I, and I'm hoping, I've had a lot of interaction in the comments section with guys who are just, I mean, they go on, they write books about how much they hate me. Are you serious? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Because it's it's truth and truth is confrontational. And so they're being confronted about that, that, hey, the justifications you're making on walking out on your family aren't great. 
And this, you could end up in this place. So a couple of the guys take real funny swipes at me. One guy, his screen name was BJ sucks at being single. <laughs> so, oh my goodness. So, so they're like, they're like, you just didn't know how to be single. And that's, and I'm like, no, I knew how to be single. I was single for a long time. But truth is, and I have to then admit also, okay, yeah, I can be arrogant. And maybe I was being condescending here, but I didn't mean to be, or I didn't, I don't want to be, I want to be encouraging here and saying, you've got something now, whether you planned on having this family or whether you, right. whether you knew it was going to be like this, the reality is, is that you are not single anymore. You do have kids. And if you do walk out on them, we're talking about all the ramifications you and I have already talked about. Well, yeah. And that's, it's interesting and very eye-opening for me, actually, to hear that because I've been very fortunate to grow up in a family where I did have an incredibly loving father. And so my idea and my vision of God is not the same as a lot of people. And that's been something that has been challenging for me at times as I have wondered why people have certain opinions, you know, some of my friends. But then as you do learn a little bit more of their background and you begin to see oh, wow, that is the way they're viewing God very much the way that they were treated by their father. And yeah. so it'd be interesting to know, you know, some of those people who have just completely torn you apart, yeah. what their relationships with their dad were like. It'd just be interesting to know. Absolutely. And that's, and I think my passion in this, and one of the things that I like, and one of the things that I have the goal of with every single article that I write is I am very interested in what motivates people. And, and normally what motivates people is a deep wound that's down in there somewhere. Maybe they don't even recognize it. The same mentor that I talked about before, he said that, you know, when, when God created us, he spoke us into being. And when he did that, he breathed life into us. And that breath, is consistently needed. And it's almost like when you cut yourself off from it, it's like going without food. And anyone who's ever fasted or gone without food, it's a painful experience. It's a lonely experience. Right. And that pain then ends up, you know, it, it basically, it, that's kind of their motivator. That's kind of how they act out of it's, you know, it's what's ever most true about you is going to come to the surface. And yeah. so, if there's pain down in there, there'll probably become bitterness that comes out there, that comes out in anger, comes out in broken relationships. And so he said, if you can listen to people long enough to hear their pain, then you can speak into it with a gentle word of God that's truth. And then you can maybe perhaps bring healing into there. Right. So that's what I'm hoping to, to I'm trying to get to the heart issue as quickly as I can in 500 words. Well, and that's the thing on the flip side of that, surely there have been, and, and maybe to that particular article, there mm -hmm. have been positive feedback too. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And for, in fact, I would say for every negative comment, there's about 50 to a hundred of people who are either liking or, or emailing me and saying, Hey, great message. Hey, this is awesome. This is exactly what I needed. Um, one of the most interesting that I saw was, uh, you know, I get on Google Analytics and I can see the people who are on our website from wherever they are in the world. Right. And there are little dots all across the world. And um, and some of them are in Africa, too. And and there was on Facebook, there was a guy who shared one of my articles and his status was in Swahili. And I had to get Google Translate. 
And it was an article about what women want in the workplace. The Google translation was, it was a picture of him in front of a mud hut. And he goes, great information here. <laughs> and so here's a guy in Africa living in a mud hut who's reading an article yeah. entitled What Women Want in the Workplace. And he somehow found it, found it interesting. And so to think we're writing things that have a global impact. Well, yeah, and just giving people tools to mm – -hmm. Because I think that's the goal a lot of times, too, is you know you're going to offend some people. But even the people in offense, mm -hmm. just to get their wheels turning, and when something sticks in your mind even long enough for you to feel frustrated about it, mm -hmm. that means you're actually thinking about it and processing it. And sometime down the road, you may have a different idea in your head about what you read than what you do at this moment. Right, right. I mean, even even one of my, and, and I'm very active in the comment section, one of my most vocal critics, I mean, he shows up on almost every <laughs> um, And You need uh, to offer to take him to lunch, VJ. <laughs> yeah. Well, all the marriage articles. Now, he doesn't, and he doesn't use his real name, which I'm always like, you know, until you're ready to put your name behind your words. For real. <laughs> um but he and I have gone back and forth many times. And sometimes, I mean, he's been contentious at times. But even he would say, I really do enjoy the dialogue. It makes me think. Mm, and yeah. as much as he disagrees with me and I with him, and he's made me kind of think, mm, okay, you know, I probably could have said that different. You know, and I've had to concede that. You know, right. like I, you know, I probably wasn't clear with that or, uh, you know, and so the the dialogue part of it, you know, once you get past the any kind of hurt feelings or the feeling to need be defensive. Right. Um, then, it, you know, then it can become a constructive exercise. So, Tell us some stories, if you have any, of just the way that some of your articles, you know, have impacted people. You shared the one about the guy in Swat. Well, I should say in Africa <laughs> that he wrote in Swahili. But do you have any other, you know, just stories you can tell us about emails you've maybe received from a dad that said, you wrote this and it had me really thinking about, you know, X, Y, or Z, and, and this was kind of the outcome? Yeah, I think, um, I think probably the, the one that stands out to me the most was a guy who had left his family um, who and, and it wasn't, by the way, the article he was commenting was actually not one that I wrote. But, you know, to be a Someone part of your team. Yeah. It's one of our writers uh, wrote an article about should I stay or should I go? Um, and he, he in fact, he had read a couple of our articles. He had been a reader for a while. And I think there was also one, The Cost of Fatherlessness and, and some of these other articles and the combination of all of them. He had left his family and he said, I'm, I've made the decision today to go back to them. And to think that that's going to completely change the trajectory of that family um, was a great thing to be involved in was, I think, probably the greatest. That, that one probably touched me the most because I, I, I pictured the look on his kids' faces when he walked back through the door. Yeah, yeah, powerful. Well, tell us, how would someone go about getting involved in All Pro Dad or iMom? Uh, you could go to allprodad.com and, and iMom.com and subscribe. There's a little subscribe button and you just give your email and then um, you can get a lot of different resources that way. Uh, I would, if you're a father, um, even if you're a mom, check to see if there's an All Pro Dad chapter in your area. And it's a, 
it's a very worthwhile, like kids say, it's it's their their favorite day of the month because dad comes to school and they get to, you know, they, they have their dad say they're proud of them. And if there's a if there's a father and kid experience uh, in their city, it's a, it's one of the best days of the year. I know. And when we were in Tampa, we didn't end up, we never went to one of the all pro dad events at the stadium, primarily because ours were so little. And now I look back and I'm like, man, I really wish I would have had Sam take Bennett, even though he was little, because how old do you even have to be to come to one of the big events? Oh, I mean, I've, I've seen dads chasing a toddler around the field who, who doesn't understand anything. Right. Um, but you know, we're throwing balls to them and yes. you know, I mean, it's, it's still, really fun for them to kind of be on the football field and running around with their dad and, and, and the dads have a blast too. And they hear a little bit of truth and a little bit of, uh, you know, a tip here and there, Hey, you can do this and, and this. And, and so it is, I, I would say the sweet spot would probably be somewhere between four years old to 11. Okay. Um, that would be the sweet spot, but I've seen teenagers who have a blast. We do. One thing that I really love that we do is, we say, hey, dads and kids get together and I want you to give them, uh, give your kid a hug for uh, a minute and yeah. you hold them for a minute and you're not allowed to pat them. You just have to hold them. Oh, and, yeah. And to see what happens and then you see some of the dads and you can tell some of the families who don't do that on a normal basis. Right. And then you start to see the discomfort and then as the minute goes on, it gets more and more comfortable and and the kid just lights up. I mean, there's so many different parts of that day where they light up. We do the pride exercise. They light up there. We have um, dads and kids can do a touchdown dance, which is really fun to see all the <laughs> dancing. We do a tickle tackle, which is, you know, the kid has to try to run around the dad. The dad tackles them. And that's where the teenager's like, I don't want you to tickle me. Right, right, exactly. (laughs) But, you know, if your kid is three years old to 10 to 12, you know, even they they love it. And, you know, they get to jump on their dad's back. And and so it's just a it's a it's a blast of a day. And, And so I highly recommend all those. Well, next time we're in Florida, because we still come often, Sam's family is over in Largo. So maybe when we come, we need to make it a time when that event has taken place, because Bennett is finally getting into football, which is the one sport he actually enjoys. So that's a good (laughs) thing. Otherwise, he is not our sporty kid. A resource that you have available is From Me to You Journals. Tell us a little bit about that before we start to close out and why you would recommend those. That is a, a new tool journal book um, from Mark and Susan Merrill. And it started where Susan saw something happening with her daughter and decided to just write her a note and left it on her pillow and then asked her to write her back. And so then her daughter wrote a note back. So she, it, it grew from there. And I'm, I'm believing this is the way that it kind of grew is she eventually she got a notebook and then they were going back and forth every night. And so it's all the things that like maybe a kid would feel maybe insecure or not necessarily wanting to say or particularly some kids just don't know how to how to articulate things right. in, in a conversation, but they have time to think about it and write it out. And so she would learn things about her kids with these back and forth journal entries back and forth to each other. They would ask each other questions at the end of each one and and they would write back and forth. It turned into a book, a journaling book. And so, you know, so there are 
different subjects that they can write about or, you know, and, and some of it is open ended, like whatever you want to talk about. You write a note to your kid, you leave it by their nightstand. They write a note back to you. Well, and, and that's so, what I was going to ask. Is it all open ended or are there some prompts? There's some prompts in there. Yeah. So it's a terrific tool for, for parents, particularly for those who I mean, it's a great tool for anybody, but right. particularly for those who are like, my kid's quiet and they, you know, they don't necessarily share or, um, you know, we're trying to figure out a way to break through. And, and, and now, you know, Susan and Mark are at a place where their kids are in their 20s and they're bringing out the old ones that they kept and reading through them. And I love that. You get to document all these conversations that you have about these really important subjects. Well, yeah. And what a way to connect, too. I mean, I think sometimes even... As much as my children talk, which let me just say is all the time, my children are all talkers, but it doesn't always mean you're having like a real strong connection because you know how it is. I mean, I've got three kids. They're coming in from school. Even if you're homeschooling, it's just this back and forth all the time where unless you're intentional with that conversation, it does not happen. Right. And yeah. nighttime is a great time for that because everybody's kind of slowing down and settling and if, in. If you're, anything, if you're anything like our kids, we'll be at the dinner table for a good hour. Yes. And they will, they'll be goofy and not talk about anything. And then uh, we're tucking them in. And then all of a sudden they want to talk about every, every deep, deep theological issue and heart issue that there is. And I'm exhausted. And now I... I'm don't get me wrong. It's a privilege to talk to them about it, but I'm exhausted. So I'm with you. Yeah. So you can, you can say, Hey, I want you to write it down and I want us to have this back and forth. So it's a, it's a great tool. And there are boy theme. There's a boy one and a girl themed one. And, and so you can get either one. And, and by the way, if, if you're looking for also prompts and questions to ask, uh, we have a Q and U app, which is it's an application that you can have on your phone, and it literally just has conversation starters. That's awesome. So then, what's the app called? It's called Q plus U. Okay. Q and U, and uh, it's like a lime green and a blue color, and you can find that in the app store. It's free to download. I'll make sure I put that in the show notes as well, so people can find it easily. Yeah, and we put that we put out new questions each month. And by the way, on All Pro Dad, we have a huddle up question that you can ask your kids every day. And then on iMom, we have a pillow talk question that you can ask your kids every day. So that's awesome. We have lots of different prompts to kind of get the conversations going. I love it. We close out the show just asking a few questions. We all cling to the grace of God in our lives every day. But there are certainly times when we need it all the more. Is there a time in your life that you can share when you feel that you have really had to cling to the grace of God? It was definitely during that period where I had fired and there's no, you know, I I was just an utter failure and felt like, like, boy, I've let my entire family down. Uh, I've got these kids on the way. I'm married. I have no source of income. I was in need of emotional encouragement. I was in need of healing. I was in need of financial provision. And, uh, and God was graceful. I didn't want, we didn't want for anything during that entire, I was, I was out of work for six months. We didn't have Elizabeth's income for three. And so there were people that stepped in and, and helped us. And so there was a lot of grace during that time that, that I got, that was pretty amazing. 
If you had the opportunity to sit down with your great-grandchildren and give them some wisdom, what's something you'd like to share with them? Oh, I think it would be um, to just embrace who you are and how God made you. There were just, there were too many years of my life that I spent thinking that I needed to be different than what I was. And I would want them to know that they were created with love and purpose um, from the creator of the universe, and therefore they are worthy of love and belonging. And and Henry Nouwen gave a really great talk called The Beloved. I highly recommend if you find it on, on YouTube. It's about 15 minutes long. And he talked about three lies that people believe about their identity. I am what I do, I am what people say about me, or I am what I have. And if you don't have like a job, great job, and you know, you're making a lot of money, then you might feel worthless. And, and you might feel like, if I haven't performed well, then therefore I'm worth nothing. If people say bad things about me, then I'm worth nothing, or I'm only worth whatever the last thing was said about me. And he talks about that being a tremendous lie, that our identity is found in the fact that we are loved by our creator and who who desperately desires to be in relationship with us and has created us with tremendous purpose to add our voice to the world. And if they can lean into that as much as possible, then they're really going to enjoy life. And then it's all about the two most important commandments Jesus talked about, and that is love God and love others. And then they're going to have a real they're going to experience that John 10:10 life to the full that Jesus promised and i spent too many years not experiencing that mm-hmm. and i've really experienced it i would say fully in the last maybe 10 years of of a 44 year life so yeah. That is so wise. Well, thank you so much for being here and taking time away from your family this evening. Just to all of our listeners, if you have the opportunity, go over to All Pro Dads, to iMoms, and sign up for that daily reminder because I know I have been richly encouraged just from looking through all your past posts. So thanks so much for being here tonight. Thank you, Amber. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and resources at graceenoughpodcast.com. Be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Google Play and subscribe. Clicking that subscribe button helps to make sure you never miss a new episode of the Grace Enough Podcast. If you share the show on social media, be sure to use the hashtag Grace Enough Podcast or tag me at Grace Enough Podcast underscore Amber on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you for listening to the Grace Enough Podcast. Tune in next time. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.